Hello, legends. Welcome to today's show. Catching Up with Cub is brought to you by Cub, the Club of United Business, Australia's number one members club connecting our country's top entrepreneurs and business leaders. Today, we're catching up with two of our most incredible and interesting members. Nathan Lennon and David Gibson, the founders and co-CEOs of Hawks Brewing. If you don't know Hawks Brewing, well, then you really need to get to know it because it is a fantastic, innovative new beer company that started three years ago with Bob Hawke at the center of the organization. The whole company is based on Bob's values, um, some of which include generosity, hard work, authenticity. Hawks has just done extremely well since its inception. It's one of the highest selling beers in both Dan Murphy's and BWS. The boys have an incredible story of how they came up with this company, having no background in really running a business or beer at all, to running an incredibly successful Australian beer company. It was a fantastic conversation with some brilliant stories. So enjoy the show. And we're live. I'm sitting here with the boys from Hawks Brewing, uh, Nath and Dave. How are you guys? Yeah, good, thanks. Good, thanks, thanks, for having us. thanks for having us. Mate, how good is it to finally actually get to speak to each other? I see you guys in the clubhouse <laughs> all the time. I never get a chance to say hi. And now we're about to have nice. an awesome conversation. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks over for having us, mate. Beautiful apartment. No, no, thank you for being members and thank you for coming today. My pleasure. Um, you guys have one of the kick, most kick-ass stories and most interesting companies, I reckon, that we probably have in the club. Thank you. Um, uh, a, because it's a beer company and from what I understand, you guys knew nothing about beer companies other than maybe drinking beer before exactly, you started. pretty much. Um, and B, because you, you've got Bob Hawke involved. We did. Do you want to know how it all, how it all started? Fuck, tell us the story. <sighs> yeah, so it's an interesting journey that, that maybe like a lot of startups um, certainly wasn't premeditated. David and I were creative directors in advertising in a, in a former life. Uh, we'd taken our dream job in New York. Uh, we were a place called Droger 5, which was actually owned by a gentleman called David Droger. He's an Australian guy. Built a really big and successful agency over there. So we'd pretty much reached the pinnacle of our, of our career and everything was going amazing and we loved New York and I think we'd probably been there at that stage about two years, maybe a little more. And it was, it was January and naturally really, really cold uh, outside because it's winter over there and uh, snowing and uh, we, were, we were working on a Monday in the office and no one, not many people were in the office that day as well because um, there was so much snow. A lot of people use that as the excuse to not come in kind of thing but we just trooped in there and um, we sort of found ourselves sitting there working on a, on a piece of new business, a pitch and... I think sort of a bit of a pang of homesickness hit both of us. We'd realised that if we were home right then at that at that moment, we'd likely be sitting on Bondi Beach, tanning or having beers. You know what it's like. You just anyone that's lived overseas for any, a long period of time starts missing home and place like um, place like Australia, especially. So I think I was probably just moaning about it a little bit, and Dave was probably trying to ignore me. And I just asked Dave to just humour me for one second 
and um, let me ask him a question. And you ever played that game, um, Fantasy Dinner Guests? Yeah. Three people you'd invite to dinner, um, dead or alive kind of thing. It was a little bit like that, but it was who out of anybody in the world, if you could be back home in Australia right now having a beer with, who would it be? Like who's your fantasy schooner buddy? And I was actually thinking Bob Hawke would be an incredible schooner buddy, um, incredible Australian. And Dave turned around and said, Bob Hawke. And there was this weird little sort of cosmic moment where we both had a little bit of a chuckle and then started talking about Bob and what we knew about Bob and the fact that we both grew up in the 80s. Um, we, were, we were kids around that time and it was a, it was a great time to be a kid. Um, and we have a lot of nostalgia for that era and we just started kind of reminiscing about that era but also what we remember about Bob and I think we were really surprised that here we were talking about at that point an 86-year-old ex-politician in really glowing terms and it's sort of... <laughs> How often does anyone talk about any politician? Well, <laughs> that's very true. Yeah. Well, exactly, <laughs> and all that, that that's your choice to have, sit down and literally have a beer with. And I think the cogs just started turning sort of in the background because of our experience in building brands and kind of seeing ideas and seeing marketable ideas, I suppose. And I think within maybe the space of probably not working for the next 45 minutes and just talking about, um, about Bob, we made the connection. He loved a beer. Everyone knew that. Um, but he also stood for some, you know, really important things that, that we knew were um, significant values that you can build businesses on and brands on and that had longevity and sort of joined the dots on that one and essentially kind of had this thought, wouldn't it be really amazing if we could somehow get in contact with Bob Hawke and um, see if he might be interested in starting a beer company with us? And it was the <laughs> flickering of an idea. It, it was kind of crazy, but I'll let Dave kind of continue on with the next part of the story. But in, a, in the world of like it's who you know, um, we actually did have a connection to Bob. Yeah, and I think it's just um – it's why it's important to keep your networks, I think, you know, and that's why I was so good about so good about Cub. But I, I think we stayed in contact with a former boss of ours um, who was who was mates with Bob that we remembered. So, look, we just sent an email off um, uh, to him and, and he got back to us and he said, yeah, just put something, you know, put something together and we'll send it to Bob. So sent it to Bob and um, saying, hey, Mr. Mr. Hawk, <laughs> hey bro yeah hey bro how are you how are you mate um we'd love to have a beer with you but also like to talk to you about you know setting up a beer company with you and um we got this email thinking we'd never you know get anything back and and nathan and i had made a pact together um when we'd sent that email off we'd said if he got we shook on it and we said if he got back if he gets back to us and if it's not a hard no we're gonna throw everything at this because we just had a feeling so got back to us two or three days later and the email said, look, guys, I'm not sure about setting up a beer company. I'm 86. Um, but if you're ever back in Australia, let's have a beer. And so Nathan and I took that as, yeah, that's, a, that's, yes. that's not a no, that's a yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and to be honest, we'd also found out through this contact of ours, Nicholas, um, he said, look, I've spoken to Bob. 
if you fly back and you sort of you're serious about this and you present it, he's there's a pretty good chance he'll do it. So it wasn't on a whim, but it was still a massive risk. And so we spent the next couple of weeks putting this, you know, presentation together um, for Bob. And a lot went into that, obviously, given it's the ex-Prime Minister, you don't want to stuff around. Um, and then we walked into our boss's office, I think, a week after that and we just we, – we resigned. And um, which at the time, looking back, was absolutely crazy. I mean, this was our dream job surrounded by some amazing people. And he, he, he was Australian and he said, oh, you're going to another advertising agency? And we said – no, we're going to set up a beer company with Bob Hawke. <laughs> and at that stage, you know, he hadn't even given us a yes. Yeah, but we were backing ourselves. We're like, this is going to happen. So yeah. we, we, we fully yeah. lied. Yeah. We lied to him. Um, and so we jumped on a plane, Qantas Jet, and we came back and met Bob in his kitchen and had this whole presentation prepared. And he was in his kitchen doing his crossword and with a cappuccino. And we'd actually have, he wanted us to bring him a cappuccino. So we got a cappuccino with one sugar, which was again, random. We're getting at a cafe, getting Bob Hawke a a cappuccino, (laughs) brought it into his house, did this presentation. Our um, ex boss was there too, Nicholas Davey, who who was the contact. And um, uh, we did this presentation and Bob basically said, look, I'm going to stop you, stop you guys right there. And he said, now don't bullshit me. Why do you think this will work? And it was the question that we were not prepared for. We were prepared for the marketing plan. We were prepared for how we were going to build, you know, make the beer, all this other stuff, um, funding, blah, blah, you know. And then he'd said that question and I just froze and thankfully Nathan turned turned to Bob and said, well, Mr. Hawke, with all due respect, this has to work. We've just quit our jobs back in New York. Our boss is already – and we already told our <laughs> yeah. boss he said yes, so he'd be stitching us up kind yeah. of thing. So he said, okay, I think he liked that. He liked that, wow, these guys are either really stupid or have, have there's something in this. So he, he said, yeah, I'll do it on the one condition that you, I don't want to earn anything out of the company. Um, all my royalties or share of the company go to Landcare Australia, which is Australia's largest environmental organisation he helped set up um, back in the 80s. And that was a really nice synergy for us and we shook on it. And he took us out to his his amazing balcony in Northbridge overlooking the, the harbour. Did he have a beautiful house? He had an amazing house. <laughs> Imagine. It was it's outrageous. Really? So yeah, beautiful. it was yeah. a beautiful house. Tell us, what was it like when you were walking in? Were you nervous? Uh, were you f- he was really proud of it too. Was yeah. he? Of his yeah. house? He, he probably didn't get a lot of guests at that stage. Um, you could tell it's a house that had probably seen a lot of parties over mm. the years. But when we'd finished... It was interesting because when he invited us out onto the balcony after he'd like given us the blessing and we brought him some cigars, which he was so excited about. He loves cigars. He loves cigars. cigars love it's a rule. When you go to Bob's house, yeah. you bring him a cigar. <laughs> and uh, we'd spent a nearly two hours outside then chit-chatting and um, listening to him tell war stories and everything that you've ever wanted to ask your hero kind of thing. Um, but at the same time, in a bit of a – subdued panic because you're thinking I just need to get the hell out of here before he says no. Um, or before I say something ridiculous. Before you say stupid. something well, stupid because yeah. you're there because it's, it's really weird yeah. surreal moment because you're in front of this, you know, this incredible icon, um, icon but at the same time you want to get the hell out of there. Um, but he, he loved just having the boys over. He really loved it and, you know, he loved telling a joke and maybe it, wasn't the most appropriate joke sometimes, but um, he was who he was. He was very authentic like that and 
um, he took us into the he has this incredible we had this incredible pool room remember that movie the castle where mm. it was like anything that was special take it straight to the pool room it was like that he just had this incredible snooker table and a wall a really really long wall of framed photos of of himself and every possible legend you could possibly think that you know you would ever want to meet um from political dignitaries nelson mandela right through to like sports legends and whatnot and photos of himself playing golf and cricket and stuff like that and he just loved showing it to us and just taking us on this sort of tour of um tour of his life and you know i think that was pretty special as well but just just that he that he let us in like he trusted us and i think that there was this almost um i felt like we walked into a business meeting and then on the way out it kind of felt like we're mates yeah and but we were so nervous like i've never been so nervous in my entire life I especially can imagine. you know you walk into this house that's just five levels of amazingness mm. and you're in bob hawk's kitchen it's just well that was the yeah. funny thing as well right because we thought We've got our blazers yeah, on we and had, stuff. Yeah, we had. We're like, we're definitely going to be taken into a boardroom. There's going to be a big oak table. He'll sit at one end. We'll sit down the other. There'll be a butler or something. It was, he thought we were early for one. So it's almost, we caught him off guard. He was sitting at a, just a sort of pretty simple little table on the side of the kitchen, newspapers strewn across the, the table. And he was kind of semi in his PJs still. And it Who, was Bob. It was it was so informal from his end, yet so polished. And we're from New York, and we've just yeah. And I think that threw us, to be honest with you. It was sort of like we're expecting these. We're in these you know pitch meetings in in America where there are these huge boardrooms, and you're used to that. But then you come in, and there's the ex prime minister in his kitchen, and it just sort of like having right. a cappuccino. Yeah, which is exactly yeah. which is so Australian and so Bob. You've got um, your presentation yeah. manuals and stuff and there's all the all his papers and crosswords and stuff and you're sort of like, "Can I move these?" and I'm sure he liked that you guys were dressed and early and even if you felt a bit maybe awkward or unreciprocated by him, he was probably thinking, "Oh, these lads know what's going on. They're, they're on time." Yeah. They're never take be- never take any shortcuts or make assumptions, I mean, right? You know what you should have said to him? When he said, why is this going to work? You should have said, because everyone wants to have a beer with Bob Hawke. Yeah. That's why <laughs> that would have been, which yeah. is a, <laughs> that would have been a better line to <laughs> Yeah. And, and uh, something really interesting as well you said was that because you were so committed, a lot of, I, I know a lot of investors and, uh, and people like that who, who love entrepreneurs who are just, they're in. They're screwed if it doesn't work. Yeah, because it means that no matter what, you've got no other option. You're going to make that work. That's that's a very very good point, mate. I think um, we, as I said, I mean we 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 threw in these amazing careers. We we're you know, great money, all that sort of stuff um, to do this, and it ha- it it had to it had to work. Mm. Like we that saying of burning burning the boats so you can't go back. Like we had to that that was that's it. So we're all in. Um, and I think if you back yourself like that, you it's it's easier to get through the harder times because you know this this has to work. There's no turning yeah, back. It's going to suck if this does it's not work. Big time. And yeah. t- tell me, you, you said, oh, we got our dream job in New York. Well, how did you get it together, or how did you meet each other, or what's the story before before New York? Uh, we met in London actually, probably fourteen years ago, fifteen mm. years ago actually. Um, just introduced by mates at the pub, Aussie mates, Pete got. 
friends, people living in London together and um, we're working separately in different advertising agencies and um, we formed a mateship first and we lived fairly fairly close to each other in South London and um, probably were bemoaning both of our jobs and saying that we weren't necessarily happy in either of them and, and ultimately decided, you know what, maybe we should we should team up as a creative team because that's how that's how the departments tend to tend to hire. They hire in teams um, because your disciplines are split between someone that's better at design and the other person that's sort of generally better with words. This is a really old school metho- methodology that was uh, started at Ogilvy probably in the 60s. And so who's who? Uh, pictures, words. Okay. Yeah, I'm words. Okay. Yeah, that was the start of um, our journey together as a creative team and we gave it a really good crack in London, got a really great job together, worked really hard and I think that was probably the the thing that we both realised that we were never ever going to be the the smartest creatives in the room or, or the best um, by, by, by skill set um, but we knew and trusted in each other that we were really hard workers so I think that was a pretty good grounding for us to throughout our whole career, we're always the ones that stayed the latest. And sometimes the sometimes the smartest person or the best of the craft, well, I wouldn't even say sometimes, I'd probably say always, pales in the face of the person that's willing to give it a shot and the brave person, you know, the capable yeah. brave person. Agreed. Like what you guys said, you were like, most people's issue is they don't give it a shot. They don't even start. You're saying, oh, people want to be perfect or whatnot. Like you guys didn't even have – she hadn't even met the dude. He didn't even say he wanted to do it. In fact, he said no and you still went and quit and, and backed yourself. No one, doesn't matter their skill set or skill level, is going, to, is going to be able to beat that. And on top of that, maybe they could in what they do but they won't in business mm. and probably in life. Yep. I think you've got to believe in what it is that, you, that you're doing too. I think we knew deep down that we had something potentially really special – and that it wasn't some kind of gimmick, that it wasn't as simple as, well, Bob Hawke likes beer, therefore he should sort of masthead a beer company. I think we'd, we'd, we'd mapped out really early on a, the positioning of a brand that had a, had a lot of legs, that it was his legacy, that it would be our legacy, that, that it would have a lot of purpose. And that was really important to us because I think when we launched into the market, there was a lot of noise about it because it was obviously Bob but we're like this kind of thing dies down literally overnight because news is only 24 hours and it's disposable we need to prove that we need to prove that this thing is is something that will grow into a big iconic national brand you know we we and we made that promise to to Bob too along with committing to supporting um land care charity it was we're going to grow this into something genuinely memorable and iconic that lives up to you and and your legacy. So he would have loved that. Yeah, I think he was really into that. He's also into the fact that he that he had his head on a on a beer can because <laughs> he, he was. He did like that. Yeah, he, he would used have to. Loved that. We'd send him two cartons a month. Um, everyone always asks, "Is that all he used to drink?" And it's like. Yeah, his his big drinking days were over by then. Like he'd have the occasional beer, and he liked liked the beer when he had his mates around under the balcony. 
Um, so we did send him a supply every month, but he, you know, he'd that's also the bit like he a, loved yeah. handing handing the can to his mates, yeah. going, "Look, I don't know." And on the topic of his legacy, I was doing a bit of research before, and just for those who don't know, and this stuff came from the internet, so whether it's true or not, I'm going to assume it is. But but obviously, he was a Labor Party leader from '83 to '91, Prime Minister. Correct. Yep. Um, he some interesting facts. He made. Um, uh, Advance Australia Fair, the official official national anthem. Is that true? Correct. Yeah, and That's he also cool. actually yeah. he also actually added a lyric to the to the anthem. Did he really? Yeah. What was um, it? It used to be Australians let us rejoice, um, and he changed it to Australians all let us rejoice. He was big on the inclusivity factor, mm. and he was really big on the idea that um, this country would be built on sort of a diversity of, of people and and I think that was important that that was noted in the anthem as well. I think that is something that we want to talk about in much more detail later on um, the, the values that he did and, and how the culture he created and what he resembled impacted the country in such a way that it, it even made two kids like you guys back then uh, idolise him today and how businesses can use and create that culture. That's very important. Yep. Um, although I'm not hunted and sold on Australian uh, on uh, Advanced Australia Fair, I, I like the – what's the song? Everyone's going to laugh at me because I don't know. Well, come from the land. No, I like it. Come from the land down under. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Dude, um, I always feel yeah. like it's way more like <laughs> I agree. Well, actually, um, at his – we were um, fortunate enough to, to, to attend his – service his his funeral um, yeah funeral at the opera house and um it was a really really probably one of the most special times um in, in my life certainly it was very moving um some amazing speeches by you know some huge heavyweight in politics um you've got Paul Keating talking etc but they actually played that song at the end the Sydney Symphony Orchestra played it um Land with a didgeridoo player Land Down Under um and it was Spine tingling, like it, was ama- it was amazing. Yeah. So yeah, I'm that. I'm with you on that one. I, I always feel more Australian when I hear that. Yeah. And also, he created Medicare. He did. He did. Cool. He deregulated the financial sector, which may be good or bad. We don't know. <laughs> and he floated the Australian dollar. Yes. Yeah. I th- I think um, floating the Australian dollar was a stroke of genius. I mean, again, he, he and and Keating's um, economic reforms. Um, were, were second to none and I think have really made this country what it is today. Um, I think whether, you, you know, whether you're Liberal, Labor, Green, whatever, you can't argue that fact. Um, the, the other thing is too, which a lot of people don't, don't know, is how in talking about inclusivity in the, in, in the environment and how he would stand up for, for people um, and the environment he is, again, his conviction was amazing. I mean, he stopped mining in Antarctica when it was a pretty much a done deal. He stopped um, damming of the Franklin River in Tasmania. He's, he, he was instrumental in helping free Nelson Mandela and stopping apartheid in, in South Africa. He, he's, you know, it, there's a long list of amazing things this man has done and I think that combined with the fact that he would be talking to presidents one day but sitting in a, in a pub with, you know, Aussies the next having a yeah. beer just shows – I think that's why he was so loved because he had the – the intellect and the conviction, but also he was just so just, down to earth yes, and so authentic. Earth. Well, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that culture. Let's talk about how, as a leader, you can impact those around you. You can impact the people that you that you in fact lead. And and, and what would you say his values were? Why why 
why do you think that he made such an impression on you too and obviously so many other millions of Australians? Really early on, we the best places that we'd ever worked had a really great culture and we knew that that was more than just everybody got to enjoy themselves of a Friday afternoon having beers and whatnot. So really early on we actually, probably in the initial presentation to Bob, to be honest, set about defining what cult, what the what the company's um, values were going to be. Obviously something that was linked authentically to, to him and what he believed, um, but also would unpack behaviours that day-to-day in our business um, would live up to those values um, and also resonate with, um, the modern day world, the modern day Australia, because some values probably aren't as embraced now as what they were years ago. But Such we as? chose we chose five behaviours that we felt that we could really build something special around, and they were ambition. We we're obviously just speaking about it. Bob's Bob's ambition for um, for himself to to to, to change things um, in the face of adversity, but or also his ambition for the country in floating the Aussie dollar and believing that we could hit, hit on the world stage. Mm. Um, authenticity, of course. You know, you always got um, what you saw with Bob. Uh, he was really down to earth. Inclusivity, of course. Just his ability to kind of not discriminate. He really gave everybody a fair go and he, he, he was really open-minded particularly for sort of a, a poly back in the 70s and 80s, you know, even to like to his dying day, he was incredibly forward thinking about that. Generosity, I think. He was incredibly obviously generous to give us a crack and also um, forego his royalties to support charity. But he was always really generous with his time and I think that's something that we've taken on board as as leaders in the in, in our business and trying to aspire to just – you know, time is a currency as well and let's be as generous with that with our people as we can and hard work because that's something that we built our entire career around. We knew Bob worked really hard for everything and um, you can't get anywhere without it. And we just, you know, that, that sort of rounded out a really sort of profound set of values that we know that made a lot of sense for uh, for Bob, but also just something that would have longevity for us. And so that's what you guys did. You did, so those are obviously your company values as well, and they're, yes. they're based on Bob. and And is that something you spoke to him about, or is that something you you did speak to him about? Yep. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah, we mapped yeah. it all out. How that conversation happen? I think he really liked that. I think, I think to be honest, as David said, when we presented to Bob of the forty odd pages that we were prepared to kind of go down the rabbit hole with him on. Um, he stopped this. He stopped the presentation short, about fifteen pages in, and and it was pretty much after we'd sort of um, talked about the values of the of the company, and and obviously that we'd want to have a, we want to build a build a company with purpose that gave back to Australia in some way. We didn't make any, you know, assumptions as to sort of what that charity would be, and we're really glad that he he made that choice for us. But I think maybe a that was the moment for him that he understood that the business part of it will work out. He knew that we'd never run our own company before. Like he, he knew it was a roll of the dice on that, but I think he knew that our hearts were in the right place, um, that he got a sense that he could probably trust us 
it's someone who'd already vouched for us as well. And then I think that we gave him a really brutally honest answer when he asked us why it was going to work. I think maybe was the, you know, combination of those things just from his gut um, push, pushed it over the line. And, and why, why is it do you think that he's left such an impact? Why? A lot of reasons, but I, I think the one, one big factor is that he, what you saw with Bob is what you got. I mean, the man, because polit- you, you, you're used to politicians lying pretty much, right, or twisting the truth. Um, that's politics. Bob would, you know, break down on camera when something really upset him. It, he, he always followed matters of the heart and, and it was that conviction, I think, among all the amazing things he did, that honesty that I think people, people really um, just thought, wow, that's fresh. For a, for a politician, you know? That's funny. That's what I was going to say too, the authenticity mm. yeah. play because it, you can, you're can you impressed by him. He's with all these amazing people. He's doing these amazing things for the country mm. and, and in his career. But at the same time, he's not embarrassed to go scull a bee. Mm. You know yeah. what I mean? He's he's just well, – so then you trust him. Yeah. And a, as a leader, I think, um, you know, winning the trust of, of your people and, and that type of thing – is almost the hardest thing because once they trust you, they will trust your direction. They'll trust that they're safe and secure. Mm. They'll trust in what we're the, the purpose of our company. That it, it's that trust factor, and I reckon that's what he got. That's what he did uh, with Australians. He won their trust, yeah. and and he backed that up with solid values like like um, inclusivity, generosity, hard work, and actions, a- ambition, and actions. Yeah, yeah. He, he had policies, but he but he saw them through. Um, you know, and each and he with with Paul Keating, he he transformed, you know, a country for the better. Um, he did what he said he was going to do, and actually, that's one of the behaviours within our business is keep your promises. Mm-hmm. It's really really important that when you even a tiny little promise that you've made to a customer, to back it, follow it up, and keep it. And on the topic of the business, where where are you guys at now? So you've been going for three years. You've got around ten staff now. Um, where where are you at? Um, so we. We made a conscious decision, um, you know, early on we could have gone national pretty quickly and, and, and stayed national um, just given the power of power of Bob. But we made a pretty conscious decision to sort of just um, start in New South Wales and um, and the ACT and build out from there. Um, so we're, we're, you know, we're in Dan Murphy's, we're in BWS, um, we're the – Highest selling craft lager in BWS, New South Wales, and ACT. In the wow. Se- yeah, and the second highest in Dan's, which is pretty good because we haven't been in there that long. Um, yeah, you've only so, been alive for three years. Yeah, it's so a that, great feat. So that's that's we're doing really well on, on that side of things, and we've we've focused really heavily on our um, uh, bottle shops and off premise stuff because of and and that's thankfully um, we've done all that pre COVID, so it has helped us through the, the COVID situation what? being with pubs being closed. What do you mean by off premise stuff? Um so they're bottle shops. Bottle shops. Okay. Yeah, sorry. It's a um, Bottle-O's. Bottle-O's and Dan, okay. you know, yeah. your Dan Murphy's, your BWS, your oh, getting, sorry, getting out of the uh, like uh, pubs and yeah. and things like that. Big yeah. Okay. So we have still got a great pub presence, but thankfully we'd built our built our pack presence or our off prem presence um before COVID and that's that's really helped us. But the I think the biggest thing um we're now undertaking is that um, we are about to start building our own brewery in Sydney. Um, wow. So that's – And that's why you're raising capital. Yes, and we're currently raising capital for that. Um, but it's like not just a brewery, it's a, 
it's a it's a monument to, to oh. Bob's legacy and uh, to hospitality um, business as well. It's it's a it's essentially it's a tap room and a brewery all in one. Um, and do you have a idea of the location where it will be? Yeah, yeah. I, I won't say too much just yet. Okay. Um, but it'll be sort of in a west in a west of Sydney. Yeah, very cool. Um, so and Nathan was talking to you before about the the pool room. You know, we want to. We're actually going to recreate that in the brewery. Um, we we went and took some photos before. Um, um, Bob what a way to educate passed. people on Hawkey, the yeah. exact exact way that he wanted to educate us on him when we first went there, and um, that'll be really special because we've actually got some memorabilia. He's got his golf some his golf clubs and which he prized prized more than anything, and some old cigar stuff and. Um, Anyone that's got anything that wants to make contributions to the museum is more than welcome. <laughs> wow, that's very cool. I think that's a brilliant idea. Thanks, mate. Yeah, it'll be good. I mean, the, the, our whole thing, again, with the business is now that Bob's passed is to help keep Bob alive. And I think because um, um, I think the, the most amazing thing of, about Bob is that there's so many amazing stories about the man. Um we, we want to, you know, people need to know about them um, and, and, I think, and learn. Yeah. And, yeah, and I think storytelling is a is a really important probably aspect to to just anything in life to be to be honest. Um, but it's just such a great sort of foundation, like the the stories of Bob, the anecdotes, the all the things that he he'd achieved, but all the thing all the moments that people had sort of um, that have had with him, and the stories around them, they're they're hilarious. Well, I can tell you as a student of community building, culture creation, religions, members, clubs, private communities, all, all of the above, storytelling is one of the, if not the most important factor towards bonding a, a community. Story, look at religion, all they do is tell a bunch of stories. And the reason is you remember the stories and the stories give you, give you examples of what's expected of you and also give you examples of what each individual person is like, what, how they're going to respond, how they're going to react. You can think about it even with your family. If you're sitting around for lunch you know, on Sunday and you're sitting there, you know, what are you doing? Most of the time after you catch up on the week or whatever it may be, it doesn't take that long. Most of the time you're telling stories. You know, you're telling, oh, do you remember when Daniel did that? Oh, you? And the reason people do that, communities do that, is because it shows past connection. So you, you know that person, you've been there, you've experienced things together. And you're having a laugh. You're, you're connecting. To well, it's, it's amazing. It's I think a way to a find common way. ground. Right? Exactly. And in your case or in the case of Bob, it's a way to tell the story of how to be a great Australian. Mm. You know what exactly. I mean? This yeah, is with, what's expected. Yep. And maybe it's with a beer in your hand. But that's what we do, right? We've, for, for decades we've, we've, we've gone to the pub, to the public bar, the great leveller where a judge can, can stand next to a cleaner and they can – share stories with each other and that's that's a part of what our um, our culture's been built on, you know. So to kind of just celebrate that in our own way, um, it feels really special. I agree. And how has COVID affected you guys? So obviously the hospi- uh, the hospitality venues have... have um, yeah, slowed. that was tough for those. For, well, obviously we've, we've got a lot of relationships on, on the on-premise um, pub side and bars and whatnot and... You know, our hearts went out to those guys. They were really hit hard. Um, you know, we were obviously hit in the sense that we couldn't sell kegs of beer, but um, 
they were here really, really hard. So that was a really probably a, it was a weird period for everybody, regardless of what industry you're in or, or what whoever you were. Um, as David said, we were really fortunate that we built, I suppose, the backbone of our business around our retail um, bottle shops. So that that definitely kind of put us in good stead and and helped us get more runs on the board with with the Dans and the BWSs and sort of the bit some of the independents. Um, so helped us also step back like many people in their businesses and and have a really good look from the outside of what it what we could improve and and um, probably just get get some more time to plan and strategize and think about kind of um, what this brewery was going to look like and and how we were going to unpack that. We're actually fortunate in a way is that the way that we built our business is probably the complete opposite way that every every other craft beer company, most craft beer companies would 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 build their business. Explain, explain. Well, for a start, neither of us are brewers. <laughs> um, neither of us had even run a company. So, but that's not a first for for new businesses. So, to essentially start with literally two guys sitting in one of their grand grandmother's garage, freezing cold. Is that where you guys started? Yeah, we started. <laughs> that was the garage. first office. They all yeah. started in garages. In Nan's garage. Um, you know, trying to kind of build something literally from the ground up and outsource production of, of the product, the most important thing, the, the thing that you should prize more than anything, um, we outsourced that, which is was fine because that eliminated the risk of us stuffing something up we didn't know anything about anyway. Um, and it also, yeah, it, it decreases your costs heavily so you, you, you can focus de- on what de- you do well which is the, the brand in your case. It decreases the, cap- exactly. the capital up. The upfront capital was was minimal yeah. because of that. Um, and it allowed us to kind of, I suppose, prove the concept in some way to get a sense of well, rather than find a way to invest $3 million in setting up a brewery straight away. Let's see if this is going to work and let's build a team around more of a sales Mm. machine um, and get distribution. Yeah, and it's getting back to what you were talking about before, which is just just do it and – Figure it sort out. Later. Figure it out. Later. Shoot then it. Yeah. <laughs> Fake it till you make yeah. it or whatever, whatever the saying is. But yeah. And and tell me, so now you so now you're gonna be setting up your own brewery. And how is beer actually made? How long does it take? It's not like wine where it takes forever, does it? That's the good thing about it. Yeah, it generally takes between two and three weeks to ferment. Okay. Yeah. So it's a quick turnover time. And what what actually happens? It goes what goes through what pipe? What's the ingredient? What's in it? Uh, you've got a lot of malt, you've got a lot of hops, you've got a lot of water. What's um, hops? Hops are the flavouring of the, the beer. Well, they're, like, okay. they're like pellets. They're, yeah. like, they're, like, um, they're like buds mm-hmm. that grow on farms and when they're heated up in the boil, the resin, the oil from the hops and there's so many various varieties, they seep out into the boil to give the, the beer a flavour. And you've got so many different types of combinations, um, weights of how much you put in, whether you add hops later in the later in the boil, or even when it's fermenting to kind of punch a little bit more of that particular characteristic into it. It's really interesting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's very, it's intricate. Yeah, it is, and it's a science. Mm. Uh, and and so, so do you, were you guys involved in choosing the flavour? 
it, and was or was Bobby or how, how did that work? <coughs> obviously, it's very hard to figure out. Okay, well, this much hops goes here, and then you do that. So yeah, I'm assuming you would have just been tasting a lot of different beers. We went we went through sort of two or three brewers, um, sort of testing with them before we chose our actual brewer, and we we thankfully found um, a guy called Justin Fox, who's um, very well known in in the brewing industry, and um, the other lagers we tasted from these previous brewers just didn't sort of hit the mark for us and he he just got it immediately and I think put the, the brew in on Boxing Day cricket test um, the the couple of months before we launched and then came out with this first brew we tasted and went, we flew down to Melbourne and we, we were brewing it in Melbourne um, and he tasted it, we tasted it and just went, yes, that that's, was a, the that's amazing. Oh, and that's another point. So I talk about not doing – Things the same way as other beer companies, any craft beer companies. We launched with a lager, which is the last thing you'd want to launch with if you're a craft beer company. You'd really want to launch with a pale ale or an IPA. Why is that? Just something that you can flex your muscles with a little bit more in terms of, and also more appealing to that to that drinker. The craft beer drinkers tend to want um, something more flavorful, whereas the masses, you know, we're still we're still selling. 80% of volume throughout Australia is, is, is lager. But um, it's actually worked for us because there's, there's a lot of good craft pale ales out there in IPAs. There's not a ton of great craft lagers and we actually won the best, the best uh, lager trophy in the country um, in 2018. How that? And we took it to Bob and he's got a photo with him with the, with the trophy and he was stoked. In the pool room? In the, yeah, straight to the pool straight room. To the pool room. <laughs> um, but, um, he loved that beer. That's the other thing. Yeah. He genuinely really loved it. He loved it so much that he actually smug- used to smuggle six-packs um, into the SCG to watch the cricket. Now, anyone who's been to the SCG knows that it's generally contracted. Um, I think CUB. Um, so you can only drink cult, like Carlton Carl Draft and VB and whatnot and he's like, no. Nah. They're not telling me what to do, so he'd <laughs> smuggle it, smuggle the six pack in, and I don't even know if he was checked at the door. But what are you going to say to Bob Hawke? And he'd go up to his, go up to the corporate box, and he'd have them put them in the fridge, and he'd sit there and just sip on on his on his tinnies of Hawke's lager for for the day, which is pretty hilarious. It was oh. a real that was a probably like one of the nicest compliments that I think that we'd ever got. It would also be un-Australian for someone to take you know, Hawke's uh, Hawke's beer off. Bob Hawke. Yeah, you know it mean? would like, be. Yeah, you'd literally be, be sacked and you'd booted be, from the yeah, country. Yeah, exactly. you would. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> <laughs> but um, we, we used to take him all the, the new beers to try um, and he, you know, he, he tasted the lager before he had to okay it and he okayed it and we had to we had to uh, get him to taste the pale ale and he tasted that and I think his comment was tasted the pale ale and he goes, because it's obviously a lot hoppier, a lot heavier, not really his sort of style but he tasted it and he goes, yeah. I prefer the other one, <laughs> as in I prefer the lager. So and I think he's like, man. is this going to sell? Yeah. Um, so, and yeah. One thing you guys said in your prep sheet was only do business with people you'd want to have a beer with. Now, I love that. Yeah. I, I agree. That's a really – it's funny because we've only sort of just realised that, I'll be honest with you, in the last three years. We didn't start out saying that was going to happen and we found that when we don't follow that rule things start to go you know you end up in um a situation where you're like yeah we didn't trust the we didn't do the would i have a beer with this person test and when we haven't done that we've 
gone down the wrong path with mm. certain people. Um, but so it's a hiring policy now. Yeah, from now on, we actually, it's part of our culture. Once they, after the sort of the third interview, if they get past that, we take them out for a beer as and well. They don't know. They don't know. Well, they and do if, now. And, oh, if they, and if they pass the, would you go and back and have a beer with that person by yourself? Like not surrounded with friends, like would you actually go and have a beer with them? And it's like, yeah, I really like enjoyed their company. It's like, great. Well, I completely agree. Ask Laura. We when I interview anyone, they say, oh, I don't drink alcohol. So look, I think we're gonna we should just stop this. Oh, really? <laughs> <laughs> we're no, stop I've this had one. a couple of those. And I never trust them. They're like vegans. You know? <laughs> <laughs> I'm joking. I'm joking. Everyone's nice, but but um, I do love the idea of it, it's very cub, right? It's like. Once you have, I mean, you could really, you only want to work with, you only want to deal with people that you, you you can have the opportunity to have a valuable relationship with, a strong relationship with. Now, not every human on the planet is supposed to get along. It's just not the way it's supposed to be. So you may as well, particularly the people you work with, mm. you really should love being with them because you're with them every, you're with them more than anyone else in your life. Mm. But even people that you're doing business with, you should really uh, – Want to be with those? I mean, mm. even at Cub, every new member we we interview, mm. every single one, mm. one of us does their introduction, and we're like, okay, these people are, are nice people. They're good people. They they're gonna fit with this community. It's so important. Mm. Yep. It's so important, and they should definitely be put through the. Would I have a be uh, again alone with this person? Yes. Yeah. It's it's one way to package it up, but I guess it's just a matter of. Yeah, you got to you got to trust your gut with people, mm. and you've got to use your intuition. And and you know, you might not be exactly the same person, but it's there's this unspoken same ethics. You know, yeah. you may have the same ethics, you may have very similar values. You mm. may be very different people, but have mm. similar values. And and what I find is that people with similar values tend to find each other, mm. and then they tend to stay together for for longer. Mm. And, and what do you guys do to create or enforce your company culture? Are there any actual things you do, uh, like any structures in place that facilitate that? Or Yeah, well, we've got a culture um, sort of document that we take everyone through that's um, uh, when, when they start and then we regularly on sort of yearly, we do yearly sort of um, sales conferences where we get everyone together. We take them through it again and what we try to do is we try to put questions about our um, behaviours and our values, um, do little sort of, uh, I guess, exercises for everyone on a, on a monthly basis. So we're saying, okay, so how was – tell us a story from the road. How, how was that? A, Which is a, weekly. Yeah, an Which evidence of generosity or an evidence of authenticity. So we've actually also – everyone's um, bonuses and KPIs are also part of that is – is the behaviours of the company. So oh, they know they have to live it. It's okay, like, so it's truly like a 50-50 yeah. thing, you know, sales targets are one thing, but do you live up to the values is, is 50 Are you one of us? Yes. Is like the question. Yeah. And so that means your sales, uh, sorry, your team must be primarily a sales team because in yep. regards to the brand and the leadership, well, obviously that's you two, you don't need to make the beer or, or do any of that uh, type of stuff. So not really yet. most yet, not yet. Yeah. But so yeah, your life's about to get a lot <laughs> yeah. more difficult. But really at the moment you can bring on 10 salespeople mm. and just get the beer out there. Yeah. And, 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 and that's a great model because yeah. everyone is not costing you money. Everyone's actually bringing their, their all assets. In. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. So you have a really good business model at the moment, yeah. which makes you also very COVID safe. <laughs> yeah. Know, well, as far as a business model. It has. Yeah, our overheads haven't been 
enormous because we don't have a you know brewery to be paying rent on and et cetera, et cetera. So are you a bit nervous about that? Yeah, I mean I would be lying if we're not. I mean we're we are, but I think we've we've done enough homework and and, and I'll be honest, we've been looking for a site for the last two years. Okay. So we've we've done our research on that side. Um but you know, given the environment we're currently in taking on a, you know, fifteen hundred square meter site, it does make you a little nervous. But again, but it's the right time. It's the right time. We know, we know enough to know what we're doing now. And again, it is that thing of. Have we've you got found to do the it. actual site? Are you going to buy it or are you going to rent it? Lease it. We're going to lease it. Have yeah. you found it yet? Because yes. I have a great yeah. one for you. Otherwise, oh really? <laughs> yeah. Okay. We really don't do one. it to us. Yeah. Great <laughs> we've found something. <laughs> yeah. We've, yeah. We we should we've, talk after we'll this. Talk after. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. amazing! And boys, before we wrap up, um, I'd love for you guys to share maybe your favorite. Um, favorite book or favorite quote and then we're going to talk about some of the best lessons that you've had in business sure like there's so many great quotes out there but we felt that it was we've always loved this um and i feel like it's poignant given that it's it's so applicable to just about everything in 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 business and potentially life and also something that links back to our previous career in advertising it's probably the greatest slogan ever written and it's just do it yeah (laughs) it's just such an incredible attitude um you know just just take the leap just start the business just do it (laughs) yeah you know i couldn't agree more yeah did you have a good book yeah there's a there's a there's a couple of books um and again it's an ex ex ad guy um called paul arden um, I think he used to work at uh, yeah, Ogilvy or Saatchi. He's one of the big ones. Anyway, I should know that. But he wrote two books. One of them was called um, It's Not How Good You Are, It's How Good You Want to Be. And it, it basically goes back to what we were talking about earlier, which is you don't have to be the smartest person in the room or the most talented. It's actually how hard you work and how you look at things. Um, and if you really want it, you will get there. And it's 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 a small book, but it's 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 great. Another book he wrote was called Whatever You Think, Think the Opposite, and it's really about um, that whole thing about when people are zigging, you zag. So, um, and lo- again, looking at things in a in a in a, in a different way. Mm. And both of those books are, are great. Yeah, brilliant. I've got to, I haven't got either of them actually. I've got to add them to the to the old library. Did you yeah. see my library? No, I haven't oh, seen your I'll library. Show you after yeah, this. okay. Cool. I'll add them to that that thing, and. Um, and your greatest lessons, because I agreed with absolutely all three of them. And in fact, I would probably would have written those three. Yeah, great. Yeah, the first was about starting. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, starting is better than perfect. Yeah, right. It's there's never a perfect time to exactly. to get going. And it's it's just the most important thing is pushing yourself off the ledge. Yeah, even even out. when you're doing well, you're not perfect. Like yeah, what yeah. I was saying to you guys before, the Cubs going amazing right now. But you know, yeah. I still. I can see what it could be and I'm just like, no, I want that so bad. Mm. And in yeah. a way like we've we've been going through it to some degree with the selection of our brewery site. Like we've been suffering from I would call it indecision paralysis where you've got what what appears to be some several good options on the table but you just keep going round and round in circles and you've just got to commit to something and the feeling of actually making that decision just – it actually like took took so much weight off our shoulders, and then you put focus and own your decision, and then you make that as 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 good as you as it can be. Mm-hmm. And the other two, I think the, the next one was um, hire the best people you can, and then get out of the way. And I think if if you know we were fortunate enough in our 
previous career to be surrounded by amazing people. And we've sort of tried to take that into our company and we're very fortunate that we've got some great people um, with us right now and it's just giving them the tools to, you know, for ownership to sort of us to be able to let them do their thing. I actually think that's the hardest of your three. Agreed. Yeah. I, I think that's pretty universally agreed upon yeah. that finding the right people yeah. is – that's what took me the longest to do yeah. by far. Yeah. And it can make or break a business. I mean, it's the people that are in the business. So, yeah. yeah. The, the business can only be as good as the people in it. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. Um, and the third one I think we've discussed, which was, you know, only do business with people. No, no, yeah. That's the third one I got. Oh. I got, which I love this one. This is probably my favorite. It's always your fault. Oh, yeah. Oh, it yeah. is always your fault, yeah. no matter what happens. Yeah, that's true. Accountability. Yeah. I we, think yeah. that's that's something we've had to um <laughs> to learn the hard way. It's easy to blame. Like, you know, we've had instances where if you look at it on site, you could quite easily be forgiven for suggesting that it wasn't your fault. But if you trace back your steps and you realise that at some point there was a decision that you made that enabled it to happen, even though it's not something that you did, you've got to go back to that and learn the lesson out of that. I agree because... Uh, the reason I love that one is because you're either just an improvement machine where you're constantly trying to get better and therefore you need to take ownership over all any, – anything that happens in the company, there should be mm. – that, that was – I could have fixed that. And mm. what it does is it teaches you how to be good at doing things without actually doing them mm. because things are going wrong. You didn't actually do it yourself. So you're improving on, okay, how could I have helped that person do that better or is it, was, did I choose the wrong person to do that? Or So you, you, you're getting much better mm. if, if, you, if you blame yourself. Yeah. And um, I can't remember the other thing I was going to say about it. But, but yeah, I, I, think that's, I think that's crucial. It's good. I don't know, in a weird positive way, it's like food for a business, like mistakes. I, I mm. find that in, in many ways that as long as you're identifying them, the worst learning thing, from them. The worst thing is, is if they're happening and not seeing them. Mm. Or they keep happening. So I think there's some gratification in, 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 in identifying them and then workshopping the solutions and getting the lessons and, you know, it's sustenance for, for growth. Couldn't agree more. Every mistake is, it makes you stronger. Mm. The matter of just realizing, recognizing them, learning from them and then moving forward to them. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, Nathan and Dave. Thank you so much for today. Thank you. Yeah, fun. You had a yeah. great time. Thanks, thank you, mate. I love hearing your story. Uh, thank you, listeners. I hope you enjoy the show.